Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk. Discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. When Nirmal Murpurja, or NIMS, told the world he wanted to beat the world record for climbing the 14 highest mountains in, on the planet in succession, it was met with disbelief. The previous record holder had done it in seven years, ten months, and six days. This former Gurkha and Special Forces soldier wanted to knock them all off in just seven months. To put that in perspective, in terms of total height ascended, this was the equivalent of climbing vertically from sea level to space into a time frame shorter than a football season. It was not humanly possible, people told him, but that didn't stop him. New Netflix film, 14 Peaks, documents Nirmal's journey to push the boundaries of human limits in what he named Mission Possible. I spoke with him from Kathmandu in Nepal, actually where I met my husband, one of my favorite places, and I started off asking him if winter has yet arrived there. No, we're just getting in there. And uh, yeah, I literally landed about an hour ago. So So you're probably feeling a little bit lackluster, but if there's anyone who can pull himself together and rise to the challenge, it is definitely you. You managed to complete the 14 peaks in this unprecedented six months, one day, beating even your own target and were there times when you doubted that you were going to manage it and how did it feel when you achieved it just briefly before we dig into the whole story no i i really and never ever doubted myself uh, in the objective and it was it was a huge relief when i finished the project I mean, you say you never doubted yourself, and it's really clear that that you were fueled like most cars are fueled on petrol. Uh, You're fueled by fantastic levels of self-belief. Is that something that you've had since childhood, something that you learned as you did your your training for first the Gurkhas and then the Special Forces? Where did that sense that, that the world was your oyster and you could do anything you wanted come from? I think um, it's a built-up 
um, as you see on the film, you know, there are multi layers of, you know, the reason why, who I am today. Um, just to give you an example, on the movie, as you see how I have been training. So for those people who don't know, when I joined the Gurkhas, I found out about, you know, the British Special Forces. Um, and, you know, we only used to hear the rumor and it, there's this, oh, you know, it's so cool. It's like, you know, James Bond and all that kind of you know, rumor. And uh, I really wanted to be part of that, you know, really cool group and wanted to do like something completely different. So when I put the idea, even across my colleagues and even my, you know, officers and my friends, they were saying, Nims, it's not possible because none of the Gurkha has ever done this. And, and look, we also came from landlocked country and, you know, like, SBS is not only like land, it's also water, there's swimming involved. So many negative um, points and, and demoralizing. But the point there is, look, I have lived by hard work and then like training, training and training. You know, as we all know, practice makes men perfect. So just to give you one example, and I used to wake up at two o'clock in the morning, carry 75 pounds and run 20 kilometers and then I start my normal day-to-day military work. I was from engineers, so the whole day I used to plaster. So it was full-on physical work as well. And when I finished at 4 o'clock, I run back, clean fatigue, that 20 kilometers again, back to home. Then I go to the gym. I, I cycle 65 kilometers. Then it's straight into the swimming pool, 100 times front crawl in 25 meters in a lane. The point here is, look, that was like I'm exhausted every day, just listening. Every day for like six months. The only day I used to have rest was Sunday. But look, I never say I was tired. I never say the weather in outside, you know, it's, it's snowing or it's cold and all that. I was always super disciplined. I was always like training hard. So that's only one example of, you know, you know where it leads to me where I am today miraculously uh, you still have a wife after all that she talked uh, yeah. rather wearily about the fact that you would leave at two in the morning and and get back at 11 at night um i, I want to talk to you about you. your mountaineering adventure but before we do that maybe we can talk just a little bit about your childhood so that people get a sense of where you came from and what a long journey it's been for you to get to the point where you could achieve these rather incredible things you came from a a, a very poor family yeah. in in Kathmandu in nepal didn't you a hundred percent. And for those, everybody out there, you know, I urge and I request you to watch this film because this is not about climbing the mountain itself. Climbing the 14 peaks was the easiest thing I did on this project. And here's why you should watch it. Look, I came from really humbling background. We didn't even have a television in our house. Okay. So as a kid, we used to like, you know, obviously... I'm always a bit naughty once. I used to like, you know, sneak around in a neighbor's window and try to watch the television. They used to say, hey, you know, bugger off, you know. So <laughs> from that point to now, I am executive producer on 14 Picks, you know, and then I filmed the whole of the of the thing, which was my own idea. Nobody advised me to do this. Nobody even, you know, we didn't even have the funding. So, and then normally to, to film all this stuff, it costs around six million. So if you look into the figure, but look, by hooker crook, I made that happen. So even from the filmmaking perspective, you know, not having TV, but now 
having one of the biggest mountaineering film ever made in the history, which is going in Netflix, which is our perfect partner, distributed in 191 countries, in amongst 180 million subscribers, translated into 31 different languages. Again, that itself is, you know, nothing is impossible, masses. So, yeah. And you've made that very clear all along the way. I mean, you, you, you were in the uh, at Gurkhas, then in the army. You had a, a, a very lucrative pension coming up if you'd stuck to the army for another seven years. But you decided you were getting out, and it even led to you falling out with your, with your older brother who felt that you were being reckless. But by then, I think, uh, you were being led by your passion for the mountains. You discovered uh, mountaineering. Is that right? How difficult a choice was it for you to leave that job? with that with that really secure pension you know you have your family still to support your your wife your mom um and 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 just follow your dream yes i think um you're absolutely right it was it was very tough because it wasn't only people who's going to be going to be victim out of my decision it wasn't only me it was all my family uh, i was the biggest financial contributor to my family so every month i used to send money to my mom and dad um, and that's because you know what I believe in is you know when we're as a kid we're vulnerable right so mom and dad every every parents look after the kids then I think when when people get older as well they're vulnerable you know so I, I believe in that you know looking after them you know so I was sending a big chunk of money from my monthly salary to to my parents and I was also like, you know, you know, hope for all my all my brothers and, and my wife equally. So when I decided to resign, it was it was very tough because it wasn't only me, it was whole of my family. They all had these massive insecurities, you know. They they didn't even know where and how they're gonna live off because the, the monthly paycheck is getting cut off now and all that. But I had believed in the project. I had believed in the mission. And I, I even said to my, my mom and dad, even my wife, my brothers, look, yes, it's my family who has to go through the pain for, let's say, a year. But the result, the impact this project will have on the wider community to the rest of the world is, is so big that our pain, our suffering is nothing. So I, I truly believe in that. So... And hence why, you know, I made that decision to to give up, you know, my career, my job, even remortgage my house and, and put everything on the line. So what was it about mountaineering that, that, that stole your heart? And what was it about this particular challenge that made you want to do it? I mean, I know for a start, it was incredibly important to you that this was a Nepalese team led by a Nepalese uh, person, um, which is, I think, perhaps the first time. I mean, you know, when I think back of on all the famous mountaineers I can think of, you know, I can think of Sherpas who I've heard of who were sidekicks to mountaineers, but I can't think of a Nepalese name in that long list of distinguished mountaineers. Yeah, absolutely there. Look, you know, when I announced this mission, I had two reasons, two good um, reasons why I was doing this. And uh, the first one was, you know, doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your race is, you can always show the world nothing is impossible. That was one message. The second message was, 
Look, the Nepalese climbing community have been the frontier of a thousand meter peak, you know, since you know the history of of mountaineering started. But I feel like we never got the the right recognitions, right justice, and all that. So I wanted to uplift the name of um, this you know unique climbing community, which I'm part of, into into you know to the wider world. So those were the two two big reasons why I was doing this. Mm. Why do you think some people get famous for climbing Everest once, and yet those guys, and indeed some women who've who've climbed it countless times in support of them, don't get any of the glory? Do you think there's something quite old-fashioned about the sort of hierarchical structure of climbing? It is one hundred percent. And uh, look, you know, at the end of the day. There's also a bit of weakness in us as well as, as a Nepalese climbing community. And uh, nobody going to keep talking about, you know, Nimstai or somebody else every day in their life. You know, we have to also promote ourselves. We also need to need to be educated. Just to give you an example, a lot of people see, oh, you know, like Nims is successful, you know, he's there and all that. But there's a lot of hard work behind that. Just to give you an example, a lot of military personnel, including my Gurkha brothers, including my brothers from special forces, when they join, they think, oh, okay, after, you know, certain 22 years, I'm, I'm going to have a full pension. And that pension is enough to, to live the whole life, right? And then, and, and don't do anything. But for me, like, no, you know, I went to open university, I got postgraduate, even it was the toughest thing I had done in my life at that point, because in Nepal, you can copy and paste and, and, and your teacher still gives the mark. But in England, it wasn't like that. So writing essays like day in, day out, it was hardest thing. But I choose to be educated. I choose to be you know, having all those academic background. So I think it's all bigger picture. But uh, yes, it is, you know, it, it is still old fashioned. And, um, and also like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful, though, even though you know, I come from Nepalese climbing community, because I have the background of the Gurkhas, the special forces. Not only that, I can convey the message, right? I can fight my own battle. Um, and hence why it's a bit different, I guess. How was it to be the first Gurkha in the special forces? How were you treated? Were you, were you, were you kind of patronized as a sort of uh, mascot or were you very much embraced? <laughs> to start with, the special forces selection is so, so tough. You know, it's, it's extremely tough. And um, uh, of course, I have to prove a bit, you know, extra harder than my colleagues to to show that, you know, hey, I can, I'm worthy of this, you know, power. I'm worthy of this special forces group. But I don't think, um, you know, I had anything like that. You know, I had really great bunch of friends who I'm still friends with, who I still work with. Um, we still have a great sense of humor. But again, you know, bottom line is, you know, when you come from a bit of different ground, you always have to prove harder. You always have to work harder. You always have to, you know, prove something. But it's okay. It's fine. You know, nothing is given. You know, just to give an example, it took the Gurkhas more than 206 years to get full on trust, equal rights. Not not even we are there from the from the British government. It's natural, right? But you just have to, if you're good enough, if you, if you are you know, worthy enough, you can always be part of you know, wherever you want to be. So you always need to believe in yourself. 
In fact, uh, just on the Gurkhas, there's been a lot of controversy over pensions, as you'll know, for, for Gurkhas and the fact that they're granted much less money than British veterans of the same rank and service. I think just this week, um, MPs in the UK are debating it in the House of Commons. Do you agree that it's a, a big injustice? Of course, I, I totally you know, agree with that. And I have been obviously supporting this campaign. And look, just to give an example, soldiers before you know 2000 to, to certain certain part none of the british military were in, in the war but look these veterans this widow have fought alongside with the british when the time were tough anyone can be anyone can be good friends when everything is given when in, in the in the time of peace when there's everything but the real friend will always stand with you when, when the time is tough or when it's the matter of life and death. And, and the Gurkhas have done that to the Queen and Crown. So, and to the British people. So look, I was you know, outside the cabinet office literally a day ago um, before I flew. And then, um, and I spoke to this widow and I said, look, it was super cool. I said, hey, ma'am, look, hopefully, you know, this will be sorted because, you know, some MPs are, are debating, you know, and all that. And, and what she said to me and what it really upset me was, Nims, by the time we get this justice, this equal, you know, rights, equal pension, I think we'll be dead. And And that touched me so much. I was like, wow. And look, my, my simple message is, there are only certain percentage of people who have been seen off. This new generation is okay. You know, just, just look after them. You know, it doesn't cost that much to the government. It doesn't cost, you know, like that much to the, to the public. So please, you know, please make them happy. You know, there are only very less population remaining and who are still alive, who are the victim of this inequality. So please, you know, solve this. We got this chance, one chance to fix it. Please. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Nims, let's talk about the expedition itself. I mean, first of all, you gathered together the best team. I think it was four other, was it four? There were five of you all together, weren't there? So four other Nepalese climbers, all of them skilled in one particular area. I wondered what you felt your approach to leadership was. I noticed that you created quite a strong spirit amongst the team. Um, And indeed, was it K2 that that you climbed with a bit too much spirit inside you after a night out in um, Kathmandu? So even to go there, um, the brutal honesty here is I had no funding. I had no money when I started this project. So with all my team members, 
hadn't, hadn't even climbed with them before. So it was, it was completely unique. You know, I was picking my team members as I was climbing my first mountain and then he was doing good at something. So I, I started bringing him on the team. Um, and some of the team members had only climbed like two a thousand meter peak when they started with me. And now Migma, you know, he is the youngest guy to climb all the 14 peaks. Galjin, he has got only two a thousand meter peak out of 14 to do that. So look, even though we didn't have this like massive planning and all that, but it's about once you pick the team, it's about making the component work. Right. And, you know, again, coming from the special forces background and all those, you know, the, the operations I have been into, you are only stronger, you know, as 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 your, you know, weakest member in the team. And um, we all have strength. We all have weakness. And as a leader, I had to to kind of, you know, like find that happy medium stuff and getting into this one. But we gelled so quickly, you know, we had the same common goal and um, it was it was never like, OK, I'm the expert leader, I'm names, I make this plan, this is the order we do it. It was never like that. It was like, OK, guys, this is the plan. What do you think? Can we do better? And then I let the team member to speak as well. So, yeah, it's always about being part of the team. And, and they're just saying, if you can't be a team member, you cannot be a leader. So I always followed that. And yeah, moving into K2, it was a very stressful environment, super, super stressful. And uh, sometimes people don't speak up when, when they are not losing up. So I decided to have this party, even, even with my team members, everybody, try to get the inside knowledge of you know, what's happening, who is scared of what, who has got whatever in their mind or heart. Yeah. Can I just explain before you go on? Can I just explain uh, so our listeners understand? You arrive at the most dispirited camp uh, at the bottom of of, of K2 that I think I've ever seen. A bunch of climbers who've all failed on numerous occasions to scale K2 and are about to give up and go home because it's it's the end of the season and they're just they're done with it. They've they're done. And you guys arrive (laughs) like the musketeers, and you come into camp laughing and joking. You start a party that night. And then you have a very serious meeting uh, talking about sort of re-energizing everyone and, 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 and what the challenge is and why they should do it. And and then you go ahead, climb the mountain, come back down, and everyone else follows in your footsteps. Isn't that right? Yeah, that is absolutely right. And look, even this this these people at the base camp, to be honest, I wasn't even their guide. I owe nothing to them, you know, but... I felt like they had a bit of belief. So 95% of people had given out, 5% of people had stayed, or at least if Nims and his team will come up, we can follow them. And being brutally here, what people don't know and what they don't see on the movie is I had to change the plan for them. So my plan was to go and climb Broad Peak first and then come and do K2. But when I listened to the people, they had the hope in myself and the team. I was like, okay, you know, I cannot let these people down. So I changed my plan around, and obviously when um, our team opened the route uh, to the to the top of K2, and obviously who led the the successful summit of you know all those people who were at the base camp. Immediately after that, got into base camp. I partied again whole night and and summited <laughs> directly. Yeah. <laughs> 
There's, listen, there's, there's some really amazing high points and, and watching you, you know, fill everyone with the, with the adrenaline to carry on was, was, was one of them. But there are also some really terrifying and indeed um, heartbreaking moments. One in particular where a climber dies in your arms that you've gone to rescue. But, you know, what you don't make a big deal about is that you also risk your life uh, very much so. I mean, I think you were very close to death yourself in that situation. I, yes. I don't even I can't even imagine how that feels. But how much was that your military training and how much is that to do with the, the fraternity or, uh, of climbers? OK, so looking into that story here, we're talking about Kanchenjunga, where I hadn't slept for almost six days a night. Uh, normally, people go to camp one, they sleep, they go to camp two, they sleep, and they go to camp three, they sleep, they go to camp four, and then go for summit push. So I didn't have that. So I had to go from base camp to summit directly. And what happened there was at 8,450 meters, we found the climbers who had run out of oxygen. So I get my oxygen, then we found another climber. So in total, we were risking four people and myself, Mi'kma David and Gisman were involved. But what happened there is for those people who don't know the signs, it's like, if you're not acclimatized and you do that, you literally die. But obviously, you know, we, we had completely different dynamics and I, I knew what my body was capable of doing it. But the reason why I did that is, yes, there is a bit of, you know, humanity aspect of, uh, of that in, in my life and who I am. But also the key point here is whatever you learn, you need to take away and then apply. If you're learning something and if you're not applying, then you'll never move forward in life. That's, that's I think it, it makes sense. So when I was in special forces, when I was in Gurkhas, I went so many operations. We have never left anyone behind, you know, even when like, you know, rounds were kicking off. So I was not going to do that on the mountains. So, yeah. Tell me about um, how much you were inspired or determined to finish this challenge because your mum, who I think you were particularly close to being the youngest uh, in the family, uh, who sadly passed away last year, but, but she, was, she was seriously ill while you were going through this experience. And I know that, that you were determined to do it also for her. Yes, you know, you are 100% right. And my mom is super, super close to me. And you will see on, on, on the film. And I think pretty much, I also, I was also very scared that if something happens to my mom during the project, I'm going to have to stop it. Because I respect her so much and, and she deserves to finish the, the rituals that we do, you know, according to, to, I'm not a religious guy, but in order to respect her, there's a tradition that we have to follow. But I knew that, you know, if something happens, I'm going to have to repeat this. That was always the plan. But my mom thankfully survived. And for her to witness, we came from that much poor family. After, you know, I finished the second phase, I was pretty much superstar in, in, in Nepal and all. And um, we went to this, not like relatively post hotel, but, you know, and I ordered, ordered mineral water. And you know what my mom said? Son, can you afford that? This is so post. Can you afford that? And I was like, yes, mom. Nowadays, you know, even I stay here, you know, this hotel, they, they give me free accommodation, everything. And she wouldn't believe that. In other contrast, my mom to be there when I finished the whole project, 
you know, we land in Kathmandu and then there was like obviously the white Range Rover from the British Embassy with, with the flag of Nepal and Great Britain flying and, and, you know, like welcoming us. And then as soon as we came out of the gate, there was a huge ban and the whole press. I think my mom was there to witness. And I think she kind of got what I did together with, with, with the support of everybody and, and her blessing. That was very emotional, I think, and, and I'm glad, and that was, that was probably my happiest moment in the whole of the journey. Nims, just finally, um, anyone else who'd completed such an extraordinary feat would probably just untie their boots, put their feet up, and have a nice lie down for a few years. But I know um, um, that you have already got an, another mission planned, isn't that right? Yeah, of course, you know, immediate after this, um, as you mentioned earlier, um, we were the first team to summit K2 in winter. And uh, I was leading that expedition where 10 Nepalese climbers summited. But currently, look, I have been back to back. And I was on summit of Amadablam on 9th, got back to base camp and directly next day I flew to New York. And obviously you have seen me in London, you know, Kendall Film Festival. And here I am today. But Again, literally on 30th, I fly to Antarctica um, to, to, to guide for my company called Edit Expert. Um, from Antarctica, I'm off to South America. And again, I'm guiding in Everest. But on Everest, um, I will also be doing the big mountain cleanup project because you know, there is a lot of rubbish at Camfo. Camfo is a death zone. It's 8,000 meters. We will be like full on all the guides you know, working over there. And, uh, and, and June, July will be K2. And the reason why I'm doing this is I believe that we all have to play our part in order to restore the sustainability and have to stop this, you know, global warming and climate change. So, look, I'm not Jeff Bezos. I'm not, you know, the, the, the president of U.S. or, you know, those powerful countries, Russia and China, but I'm Nims and, and Mountain is my home. And what I'm doing right now is doing what I can do to bring in to restore the sustainability and what i believe is if 8 billion population of the world play their part we can massively you know stop this in you know, a climate crisis so yeah Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Listener.